Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just we thank you for anointed messages. <laughs> That's a cry for help right there. And we pray for a blessing. On, on, on me, on the people, on the message, Lord, that you would open our hearts to new dimensions in you and that you would encourage us, that you would give us courage for the days ahead. Amen. I want to share a message called All Things. Why don't you turn to Romans eight twenty eight? I, You know, I'm sure that we all do this. I've become aware that I do this more often than I probably want to admit now. And that is, I read things into the scripture that the scripture doesn't say. And it's usually, it, usually, it usually has to do with a benefit for me. But in Romans 8, 28, which we're going to read, in fact, let me just, let's just read the 28th verse. We know that God causes all things, everybody say all things. All things. I actually want you to say it with passion, the word all things. Ready? Not yet, when I get to the passage. We know that God causes to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Now, I've read that verse for many years, but about a year ago, I came across that verse just in my normal reading, and I read all things work together for good, and it stuck me in the heart that it's all things, not all good things. And I have read that for years. All good things work together for good for those who love God. But then I was reading the verse, and I know this happens to you too, and I noticed it doesn't say all good things. It says all things. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. The next verse says, For whom he foreknew he predestined, and who he predestined he called, and whom he called he justified, and whom he justified he glorified. And so I just began to think about all things, and Sunday night it was... Uh, just kind of reiterating this idea that all things work together for good for those who love God. And I was thinking about my own story, which you've heard many times. I've told so many times, I get really tired of telling my own story. But it's, it's your story. It, it's an example of God's working in someone's life. And, you know, when Kathy and I, we got married... And uh, a year later, and we had the uh, first year was wonderful. People always talk about their first year of marriage. Oh, we had such a hard time. We had an amazing time. Our marriage was, first year was amazing. Then somehow Kathy got pregnant. <laughs> I don't know how that worked. Egg, the sperm, whatever happened, something happened. And then they got connected and then there was a baby. And in the midst of that, when my wife was about eight months pregnant, I had a nervous breakdown, which I know you've heard about if you've been here very long. And I, that nervous breakdown lasted three and a half years, and it was, it was bad. In the first year, I was overseeing a, a team of 13 guys in a repair shop, and we were living in the Bay Area. We actually lived in San Jose, and I drove to Sunnyville, which is about a 20-minute drive, but with traffic, it's an hour every day, hour home, hour there every day. And leading 13 guys, I had no leadership training whatsoever. So, you know, I didn't really know how to motivate people. And I just, we just had a lot of stress in our life. I had a brand new baby and I, I just wasn't doing good. And my nervous breakdown got, got it every, every day it seemed to get worse and I couldn't keep food down. I, I had probably 15 to 20 panic, panic attacks a day. 
couldn't sleep at night, slept an hour a night, hour to two hours a night for, for three and a half years. I shook like an alcoholic all the time. And, uh, and I was just really, really sick. And so about a year into my nervous breakdown, we, Kathy and I, we were, we actually, I just remember we were laying in bed and I, and I said, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of the rat race. I got to get out of the traffic. I got to get out of leading these guys. I, I don't know what I'm doing. And, and so we had, you know, before we got married, we were together, we went together for five years. And Kathy had this dream of, you know, Little House on the Prairie. I'll just say it that way. She watched Little House on the Prairie. I, I never did. I'm glad I didn't because I would have never gone if I had watched that Little House on the Prairie. Definitely was not my dream. But uh, we had, on our honeymoon, we had went to a little town called Lewiston. You, some of you would know what Lewiston is, but it's about 15 minutes from Weaverville. And we had gone fishing there with our boss. We were like, hey, we have two weeks. We, we did a week. We went to Disneyland. And the second week, my boss was like, why don't we go fishing? So we went to Lewiston fishing. There was only 900 people in that whole town. And so back to the bedroom, we're in the bedroom and I'm like, I got to get out of the stress. I got to figure out how to get well because I'm, I'm getting worse. And so I said, why don't we move to the country? And Kathy was like, yeah, little house on the prairie, you know, oh my God. <laughs> well, whatever, you know. And I said, well, I'm going to go. Why don't, she said, you know, we just talked and we said, why don't we move to Lewiston? So we just made a decision right there in bed to move to Lewiston. We put our house up for sale. It sold three times the first day for thousands more than we put it up for. And I went to Lewiston. There was no cell phones in those days. And, you know, Kathy was with, home with the little baby. And I said, well, I'll go to Lewiston and check it out. And then, you know, I'll let you know if we can find a house there. Well, anyway, that's not what happened. I went to Lewiston and bought a house and she didn't see it <laughs> till we owned it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could write a book on things not to do in your marriage. Anyway, we moved to Lewiston. And the longer story, we moved to Lewiston. I didn't get well. I got worse. But I ended up meeting this guy after a year being there, this guy named Bill Derryberry. And he became my spiritual father. That's another story. But he invited us to his church, which was an Assembly of God, Pentecostal Assembly of God church. Pentecostal, not charismatic, Pentecostal. Holy Ghost, Holy Roller, 40 people in the church. Yes, yes. And so we go to this little church, and a year into going to this little church, this little Holy Roller church, they introduced the new pastor on a Sunday morning, which was a hippie with a flower child wife, Bill and Benny Johnson. And the short story is, we become best friends within a month. And we, they're in our house, or we're in their house, and our kids all grow up together. Probably five days out of seven, we're together. And for 14 years, we were practically inseparable. And all that, when Bill moves here, two years later, he invites Kathy and I to come, sell your businesses, and you know, it's basically like, sell your businesses and follow me. And we did that. <laughs> Didn't quite go as planned, but that's what we did. Uh, where am I going? If I didn't have a nervous breakdown, I would have never moved to Lewiston. If we didn't move to Lewiston, we wouldn't want to the little Assembly of God, 40 people, Holy Ghost Roller Church. If we didn't go to the Holy Roller Church, we wouldn't have met Bill Johnson. 
if we didn't meet Bill Johnson, we wouldn't have been invited to come here. If we didn't been invited to come here, I wouldn't be in front of you today. Because the students ask these questions all the time of all the leaders. They say, did you have a vision to be a part of leading a movement? I'm like, no, I had a vision to actually have a repair shop. I was, I was going to change the world one oil change at a time. <laughs> that was my big vision. And what I'm getting at is that when God says all things work together for good, he doesn't mean all good things. He means all things. Like I looked it up, all means in the Greek, it means all. <laughs> and God uses your things. And I've noticed that God, does, God takes ashes and makes beauty out of it. He doesn't take nothing and make beauty. He takes ashes. Can I say it this way? Like he takes your crap to fertilize your promises. <laughs> oh. We just... Yeah, we just streamed that. That's probably, probably shouldn't have said it like that, but I did. So that's the way it goes. It goes on to say, for whom he foreknew, he predestined. And the reason why all things work together is because whom he foreknew, he predestined. And whom he predestined, he called. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he, help me, he glorified. So he predetermined that your life would, be in, would end in glory. Are you with me? Like, all things work together for good in the end. So if it ain't good, it ain't the end. I mean, don't be depressed. You're in the middle of your novel. It's not the last chapter. <laughs> so whom he foreknew, he predestined. What does that mean? How many of you know that God doesn't live in time? God lives in eternity. God lives in eternity. When God said, let there be light, in Genesis 1, he separated the light from the darkness and he called it a day. I'd propose that God created time. That time's an invention. Do you notice that that's four verses before he created the sun and the moon? He created, he, he called for light and he separated the light from the darkness and called it a day. I'm pointing out that God created time. He doesn't live in time. And by the way, when you go to heaven, you know, you say, I'm going to go to heaven. God's in heaven. No, God's not in heaven. Heaven's in God. Now, you're going to see God when you get to heaven, because not because God's in heaven, but because heaven's in God. Well, how do you know that? Because God, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. So, so heaven is not eternal. And we know earth's not eternal, right? So where did God live before there was a heaven? I'm pointing out that God's bigger than heaven. That heaven lives in God. God doesn't live in heaven. Are you with me? But my point is really this. God invented time. So it says, for whom he foreknew, he predestined. You mean God, God, God sovereignly chose me? I didn't have a free will? No, it says, whom he foreknew, he predestined. What does that mean? Well, think about time as a big train running through God's kingdom. Time running through timelessness, eternity. And think about the engine being the beginning of time and the caboose being at the end of time. It's running through God's kingdom. And, and just to illustrate... I received the Lord in 1973, in June of 1973. <laughs> For some of you, that, that was like way before you were even twinkling in anyone's eye. <laughs> Think about it like this. In Gen I mean, Ephesians 1 says, I was chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Revelation 13 says, the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. How many know before Adam had a problem, God already had an answer? Are you with me? And Jeremiah, Jeremiah was telling God he couldn't be a prophet. I'm not a prophet. I don't know how to prophesy. And God says, how can you not be a prophet? Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And before you were born, 
I called you to be a prophet to the nations. In other words, Jeremiah is saying, I, I I'm not good at this. And God goes, how can you not be good at it? Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I had already called you. Some people have this theology like, well, God, we were spirits with God before we were in our... No, no. God is talking to Jeremiah from the timeless zone. He's talking to him from eternity. So in 1973, I received the Lord in June 1973. Think about it like this. Before the foundation of the world, God went into the railroad car, it's a metaphor, and saw in June of 1973, an 18-year-old broken young man would receive him, would ask Jesus into his life. So God said, okay, I choose you first. For whom he foreknew, he knew I'd choose him. How do you know that? In his world, it's already over. Whom he foreknew, he predestined. How many of you know that all things work together for good because God already predetermined that the end will work out for good in your life and in mine? A lot better than your. Joseph in the Old Testament had a dream. And in this dream, he saw, he saw his brothers bow down to him. Do you remember this? And then he, the next night, he had, and of course, he tells his brothers, by the way, it says his brothers were jealous of him because his father favored him. So Joe comes out and tells him, like a typical 11th child. <laughs> he tells his brothers, I had a dream about you guys all bow down to me. Next night, he has another dream, sun and moon bowing down, and comes out and tells his parents, hey, another dream. I had another dream about you guys. Mom, dad, you were, you were bowing down too. And it says, then it goes on to say that his brothers hated him. His dad made him a multicolored coat. You know, whenever the Bible tells you what someone's wearing, it always has a, there's always a reason for it. He has a multicolored coat, and his father makes Jacob, makes Joseph a multicolored coat. And the Bible says that his brothers hated him even more when his father gave him that coat. Think about this for just a second. I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. But Abraham, when he was, his name was Abraham, had an encounter with God. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had Joseph, right? So Abraham has an encounter with God when his name's Abram. God says, no longer shall your name be Abram. It shall be Abraham. The ham is the breath of God, the rule of God. No longer shall your name be Abram, but you shall be Abraham, for you shall be a father of many nations. And then the next verse says, and no longer shall you call your wife Sarai, but she shall be Sarah. She shall also have the breath of God in her, for she shall be the mother of many nations. Are you got me? Only one problem, right? What's the problem? Anybody know the story? They can't have kids. <laughs> Sarah's 91. And God comes to Abraham, who's 99, and says, this time next year, your wife's going to have a son. Sarah's going to have a son. And Sarah hears it in the tent, and she laughs because she's past menopause. Do you need any biological lessons here? <laughs> She's past menopause and she laughs and says, shall I have pleasure with my master although I'm old? And the Lord comes in the tent and says, you laughed. And she said, I didn't laugh. And she said, and he says, you laughed and you shall call your son Isaac, which means he laughed. And God says, we'll see who gets the last laugh. 
And my point is, is that God is calling some of you. He's told you things that is long past your menopause. Ooh, that's a metaphor. I, I liked it though. And you're like, this can't happen. And God goes, now it's going to happen. And you laughed and God says, we'll laugh together because it's going to happen. My world is, my word is faithful. Well, long story. She finally does have Isaac, as we all know. Isaac has Jacob. And what's the prophetic word over Abraham? You shall be a father of many nations. Not just Israel, of many nations, right? So Jacob gives Joseph, makes Joseph a multicolored coat. Are you getting this? Why is it multicolored? Why do his brothers hate him? Because his father gave him a coat? Because it represents the multicolored, the nations of the world. He's wearing his grandfather's prophetic declaration like a tattoo on his shoulder. You shall be the first father of many nations. And he's already dreaming about being a leader in nations. His brothers are so jealous of him, they hate him so badly that they finally, they're in a field and they start saying, let's kill Joseph. And so Reuben goes, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. And they throw him in a pit and then here comes some slave traders. They go, oh, it's a better idea. We can make money on our brother. Let's sell him into slavery. You know the story. They sell him into slavery, right? But they take the coat and they put blood on it. So that his father will think that Joseph died by an, 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 that an animal ate him. What they don't understand is they just took the coat, the prophetic declaration of fatherhood, and they bathed it in blood. <laughs> Are you with me? And they added, <laughs> they added their amen unwillingly for Joseph to be a ruler. Joseph gets sold into slavery. Say it with me. All, All things. things. Joseph gets sold into slavery. And who buys him? Potiphar. And not just anyone. The Pharaoh's right-hand guy buys Joe. Are you getting this? All, all things. Joe's a slave. And it says this about Joe. And Joseph was a successful man. Joseph's a slave, and God says, he's successful. Some of you are just looking at success wrongly. You're like, my life sucks. And God goes, you are successful. You are faithful to me. And the, the favor of the Lord is so on Joe that Potiphar puts him over all of his stuff, and it says that everything Joseph touched prospered. And all of a sudden, Joseph's, I'm sorry, Potiphar's wife gets the hot for Joe. She tries to get him to sleep with her. It's a little bit of a message Bible. And he says, no way I'm going to touch you. My master has trusted me with everything. There's no way I will be unfaithful to him. And he runs away and she hangs on to him and she excuses him of raping her. And of course, Potiphar is angry and he throws him from, now he goes from slavery into prison. But wait a second, wait a second. Not just any prison. He goes to the king's prison for white collar workers. <laughs> this is the king, look at, read it. This is where the king sends his guys. And so Joe's in prison and it says, and Joseph was a successful man. 
Joe's in prison. Have you ever prayed, Lord, Lord, make me successful? And God's like, you are. You're the best prisoner I've ever seen. <laughs> and you're like, Lord, you said I was going to be a ruler. You said north. I'm, I'm, I'm further south than the pole. <laughs> Anybody ever have that happen in your life? You get a prophetic word and you're going the polar opposite direction. You're like, Lord, not only am I in prison, I'm in prison for raping the king's favorite guy's wife. I'm not just in prison, I'm a rapist. And Joseph is a successful man. And the jailer puts him over all the jail. And the jail prospers. Some of you don't think you're successful, but because you're faithful in your prison, God goes, so successful. So successful. And you're like, Lord, I look at Chris driving a Corvette and I, I just don't feel successful in my Volkswagen. And the Lord goes, you are the best Volkswagen driver I've ever seen. It's a very bad metaphor. Anyway, and the king throws two of his guys, the baker and the cupbearer, into his white-collar prison. And Joe's like, Joe's overseeing them. And they look depressed. And Joe's like, you look depressed. And they go, oh, yeah, I had a dream last night. And the, and the cupbearer's like, I had a dream too. And Joe's like, well, I interpret dreams. What's your dream? And the cupbearer's like, I just dreamed, da-da-da. And Joe goes, that means that the, that the Lord's going to restore you. The king's going to restore you to full service. And the baker, goes, he gets so excited. He goes, I got a dream. He tells him his dream. He goes, that means you're going to be dead by morning. <laughs> and goes so well. So the dreams both come true. The baker is killed. The cupbearer is restored to his rightful place as the king's right-hand guy. And Joe says, on the, well, while the cupbearer is on his way out, Joe's like, hey, hey, don't forget to, you know, remember me. Remember me when you get out. But the Bible specifically says he doesn't. He doesn't remember him. Sometimes you are not remembered because it ain't your time. And then two years later, the king has a dream. Now, how many know the king doesn't know the Lord? But he has a dream about fat calves and skinny calves. I don't know about you, but I, if I had a dream like that, I wouldn't even call Ben Armstrong. <laughs> I had a dream about seven skinny calves eating seven fat calves. And what do you think that means? It means pizza, bro. Pizza. <laughs> but the Pharaoh, listen, this is one of, I don't, I, I've never been able to put this to words in a way that is in, inside of me. What does it take for a Pharaoh who doesn't know God to have a crazy dream? We've all had weird dreams. But no, it has something to do with the divine deity. That's the Pharaoh. And so he calls in his guys. He's like, man, I had this dream, da, da, da. And the cupbearer remembers. I know a guy who, <laughs> I know a guy who interprets dreams. Baker's dead. I'm here. He's accurate. He brings Joe in, tells him his fat calf dream. <laughs> Joe tells him 
about seven good years and seven bad years. King goes, you're so smart, you should be in charge. He comes in charge. A few years later, his brothers come in and Joseph says in the 45th chapter of Genesis, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And by the way, God sent me here. And listen to this, this is the, this is the 45th chapter. And I have become a father to Pharaoh and I am ruler over all of Egypt. What was the prophetic word? What was the coat? What was the Abraham? What was the promise? I'm saying, think about it. If Joseph doesn't have a dream, his brothers wouldn't have hated him. If his brothers wouldn't have hated him, they wouldn't have sold him into slavery. If he didn't get sold into slavery, he wouldn't have met Potiphar. If Potiphar's wife wasn't so evil, he wouldn't have been in prison. If he didn't get to prison, he wouldn't have been able to interpret the dreams of the two servants of the king. If he wouldn't interpret the dreams, he wouldn't have been able to interpret the king's dream. And if he didn't interpret the king's dream, he couldn't be ruler. All things. Your brother's jealousy. The crazy woman that accused you falsely worked in your favor. Your brother's hatred, their unforgiveness for you, their murdering spirit actually worked in favor for you. Your slavery worked in favor for you. Your prison sentence was your pathway to the palace and you didn't even know it. And let me just say this part. I haven't said any other service. Joseph needed the humility that he gained in his process to be a leader. Because the truth is, he was arrogant. And how many know, pride comes before the fall. But God promotes the humble. And what I'm getting at is, not only was his process bringing him to the king, but it was making him the man he needed to be so he could stay in the palace. Sometimes you can under... You can, sometimes you can get around the process you're supposed to get through, but you can't stay in the palace because you did it your way. You know, it's that song, I did it my way. Yes, and I didn't get to stay there. <laughs> I thought about this. I'm right about this. <laughs> Dan's like, you think you're right about everything. I'm like, who talks and doesn't think they're right? I'll leave Dan alone from now on. In Romans 8, 37, it says that we are more than conquerors. Everybody loves that verse. I hear people quote it all the time. I'm more than a conqueror. And what are you complaining about the battle for if you're more than a conqueror? How many of you know there's no victory without a battle? Everybody wants a victory, but nobody wants a battle. You can't conquer what you refuse to confront. Something's going wrong in my life. Oh, I got a battle going on. Yeah, you are more than a conqueror. I know I quote that all the time. That's why you're in the battle. <laughs> Mamma mia. I'm not even Italian and I know that. I'll tell you one more story before we finish. In 1 Kings 17, uh, in fact, let me just read it to you. It's a story about Elijah. It says, Elijah the Tishbite was one of the settlers of Gilead. 
And he said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be no dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him saying, go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself at the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And it shall be that you will drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and lived by the brook Cherub, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him food, bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening that he would drink and he would drink from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise and go to Zarephath. I just want to stop for just a minute and say this. I wrote this down. I think I'd better if I read it. I'm concerned that in the name of faithfulness, many people are waiting by the dry brook of expired prophetic words, hoping that it will rain and dying of thirst. It's time to ask for a new word. I feel like the all things, sometimes the whole, all things get mixed up because we don't stay connected to the Lord. And we're at the brook and it's like the Lord said, the brook's gonna dry up. And it was actually, it was actually Elijah's prophetic word that dried the brook up. Sometimes you're drying your own brook up. And it's like the Lord said, go to the brook. And I'm at the brook and the brook dried up six months ago. And I'm like, I'm staying at this brook. And, we're, and our, our theme song is the way we were. It only works for old people. <laughs> and we're there remembering the revival we once had at the brook. And we're like, the Lord gave us a word. We're coming to this brook. And we're on this brook. This is the brook. The brook. The brook's coming. And we've got the ravens. And now we got, you know, the vultures. And like, we used to have ravens. And those vultures are circling because this word is dead. Are you hearing me? I'm saying there are expiration dates on certain prophetic words. And when they're dead, they're dead. I'd even propose that sometimes words that you got that you didn't obey. And then 10 years later, you're like, I'm going to obey that word. You better ask if that word's expired. And that maybe you should be faithful to a new word. Because I'd propose that God's doing a new thing. Well, the Lord says to, I'll read you this. The Lord says to Elijah, something. Oh, arise and go to Jerophat, which belongs to Sidium, and stay there. And behold, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. So he rose and went to Jerophat. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please let me, uh, give me a little water in a jar that I may drink. So she went to get it and he called back and said, please bring me some bread, a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in a jar. And behold, I'm going to gather some sticks that I may go and prepare it for me and my son and we're going to eat it and we're going to die. Has the Lord ever sent you someplace to go, widow's going to provide for you and you get there and the widow's worse off than you are? <laughs> it's like, I'm already at a dry brook. Now I'm in a dry widow. And immediately, Elijah realizes that the provision isn't in the widow, it's in the word. And he immediately says, go do what I said to you, for you shall live, and your son shall live. And the Bible goes on to say that the prophetic word that he gave the widow provided for her, for the son, and for him. Get this, this is just a little fast forward. Fast forward now, uh, 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 you know, a, a while, 500 years or 1,000 years, and Jesus quotes this to the Pharisees. There, was many, there were many widows in Israel, but Elijah was sent to one widow who was a, was, who was a Gentile. 
And the point is, is that Elijah was feeding the widow, but it would become a prophetic declaration a thousand years later that the Lord was going to feed the Gentiles when they're out of food, that the Lord was going to bring the food of heaven to the Gentiles. And the Pharisees were only wanting to feed the Jews. And Jesus goes, and Elijah was sent not to Israel, not to an Israeli, uh, Israeli widow, but to a Gentile widow. <laughs> You're not even getting where I'm going. I'm saying you may be at the widow's house and you're like, the Lord's going to feed me there and there ain't no food. The Lord sends you to a place and goes, go here, I'm going to get you a job there. And you get there and there ain't no job. And you're like, I got this wrong. Maybe, or maybe just the way you're interpreting the word isn't the way the Lord meant it. I got to tell a story. I've never told it publicly till today. Years ago, we had an auto parts store. You all know that in Weaverville. And after a few years, it was really prospering. My managers ran it. I, didn't, I was so bored. Literally didn't have to go to work. And I was just really bored. And so we used to take uh, auto parts runs. We'd go take our auto parts truck to Reading every day to pick up parts. And I told the guys one day, hey, I'll take the, I'll take the parts run today. Just get something to do. So I got in the truck. I was in Reading. I was picking up parts for the guys. And, uh, and I drove by the store on Cyprus that was closed. And when I drove by there, I looked over at the store and the Lord said to me, I'm going to give you Reading. He didn't say, I'm going to give you the store. He said, I'm going to give you Reading. Anyway, short story, a year later, I opened that store. I opened the auto parts store in that store because of the word of the Lord, which Charlie Harper tried to talk me out of, by the way. The first year I lost $300,000. The second year I lost $300,000. Third year, I lost 300000 I tried to fix it by buying another store in Willows. Lost another 300000 Finally, I'm like, I got I to I close these stores. Well, the supplier, my supplier wanted those stores and said, listen, we'll buy all three of your stores and we'll buy them at a profit and you'll make a quarter of a million dollars. So we agreed to that deal. And of course, that deal, after 18-month escrow, my supplier went broke. And we end up with a $1.8 million loss. But here's, a, here's, here's the best part of the story. Five years after I'm in Reading, or four years after I'm in Reading, Bill gets a prophetic word. I'm there with him when he gets it. The Lord is looking for one city. One city that can be under his kingdom that would be a city that people from all over the world to come to, would come to to see what happens when a good God touches a good city and prospers it. And, and we're driving home and the Lord's like, I told you I was going to give you this city. I thought you were going to give me an auto parts store. <laughs> auto parts store went broke. City prospers. And what I'm getting at is sometimes we're not prospering because we decided how God would prosper us. Well, certainly I drove by an empty building and heard the word of the Lord. I'm going to be an auto parts entrepreneur extraordinaire <laughs> or be broke. <laughs> Hebrews says that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. We don't, we don't talk much about suffering here, which I like. It's like, we should teach about suffering. I'm like, you don't have to teach about suffering. It's called life. But Hebrews 5.8 says, Jesus learned, 
Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. And I want to say that sometimes all things are working together for good in that we're learning obedience. We're learning. Sometimes we're like, Lord, change that person. And the Lord's like, I'm changing you. Lord, deliver me from prison. No, that's where the king will be looking for the next ruler. And I just want to finish today by saying all things work together for good. Well, I made some bad choices. You know, God lives in eternity. He knew you would screw that up. He knew you would. In his world, you already screwed it up. I want to say that God factored in your stupidity. So when he said all things will, you know, all things will work together for good, we're like, oh, but I did this. And the Lord's like, yeah, I knew you'd do that. When did you know that? From the foundation of the world. I factored it in when I chose you. I factored in your disobedience. I factored in your, your, your fear. I factored in your process. I factored in your divorce. I factored all of it in. And then I said, it'll all work out for good. You can't surprise God. Oh my gosh, I don't know if God knows this. Bro, just think about what you just said. God knows everything. He even knows where we'll fail. And he factored it in when he said all things. He takes your things, your brother's things, your sister's things, the hatred of your brothers, the crazy person you're employed by, all the other stuff. I'm not employed by a crazy person. (laughs) Bill, I know you're watching. (laughs) If it wasn't for you, Bill, I wouldn't be here. So God bless you. God knows it all. He knows it all. And when he said all things, he meant all things, everything. Would you stand? I'm going to pray for you. You know, there may be somebody in here or some folks in here watching by all of our our family, watching by um, streaming, that you don't know the Lord. And I want to tell you that it says all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And let me just say this. Everybody's called according to his purpose, but you loving God is the catalyst to all things working together for good for you. And if you're in this place or you're watching by Bethel TV, I want to invite you into the family. Or maybe you've walked away and you're like, oh gosh, I needed this so bad because I've walked away and things don't seem to be working for good. And like you came in here and heard this message. It's working for good. You got here. You're watching, you're watching Bethel TV or you're watching us on YouTube and you're like, oh, that's not me. You're watching it. Yeah. How did you actually turn this on? Maybe you're going to turn on six months from now and hear this. Story. My point is, is that you're here today because the Lord loves you. Yeah. Because he wants to take your crap and he wants it to utilize, he wants to fertilize your promise. He wants to take the stuff you did wrong and make something beautiful out of it. And everybody will know well, it had to be God because you couldn't have fixed that. And if that's you, if you just raise your hand, I'd just love to have our teams pray for you. Is there anyone in here today that you just like, I'd like to rededicate my life or I'd like to follow the Lord? Anybody at all? Or somebody, someone's pointing to somebody, I can't see their hand. Good. If that's you, just come on right up here. And if I could just have a couple of my friends come and just 
pray with you. That would be great. If there's anyone else, just come up to my left, which would be your right, and we'll just have some folks just pray for you. The rest of you, Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing here today. If you're, if you're online, just put it in the chat. Hey, I'd like to receive the Lord. Or I'd like to dedicate my life to the Lord. And someone will jump right on there and be with you. No, I'm sorry, let me pray now. Lord, I just pray for everyone in here who's discouraged. I pray that you would encourage them. That, you would, that they would take this word and they would be reminded, I got a thing going on. And the Lord's right in the middle of it. I got this problem that seems unsolvable, but the Lord's right in the middle of it. And Lord, I pray that you would show them the end so they can endure the season, that you would give them a vision so their pain would have a purpose. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, so be it. God bless you. Thank you so very much. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.